بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى اله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما باركت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد respects the listeners we gather once again for the <coughs> reading and commentary of the famous hadith of Heraclius from Sahih al-Bukhari so far this is a very this is the seventh hadith from the famous collection of Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi alayhi it's a very long hadith and over the past few weeks we've covered most of the hadith so far what we've learned is that after the treaty of hudaybiyah in the 6th year of hijrah towards the end the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had began dispatching letters to various rulers surrounding arabia one of them was the preeminent superpower of the time the byzantine roman empire whose ruler was heraclius the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam sent this letter with dihyatul kalbi radiyallahu an very famous companion and he went and delivered this to heraclius heraclius received the letter he read it and then he began making inquiries <coughs> apart from the letter in fact before the letter heraclius had also received word from one of the from the ghassanid king who was his vassal and ally who generally informing him about the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam so he first learned about the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam through this ghassanid king then he received the letter upon which he began making extensive inquiries as part of that inquiry he demanded from his soldiers to turn sham inside out and try and locate any arabs from arabia so they did so and they came upon abu sufyan who was a leader of a trade caravan consisting of approximately 30 people 30 traders they were in gaza at the time a port city famous for trading even then so they were hauled from gaza to jerusalem where heraclius had come to pay homage and to, uh, on pilgrimage there in the royal hall heraclius summoned abu sufyan and his 
companions. And the reason they were, they were in Gaza is that, according to Abu Sufyan, who is actually the narrator of this hadith, they took advantage of the truce that had been agreed with the Prophet ﷺ. And therefore, without fear of being impeded or molested in any way, they would pass Medina and travel onwards to Sham for trade. So Heraclius, having summoned him, he held a huge reception, which was quite intimidating, for he was sitting with his crown on his throne, surrounded by his courtiers, his patricians, the great and grand of the Byzantine Roman Empire at the time. And he made Abu Sufyan and his companions sit before him, and then he interrogated him. In his interrogation, Heraclius asked Abu Sufyan ten questions. Each one of these questions was very incisive and very precise. And there was a background to this. Heraclius wasn't just a great politician, a great military leader, and the emperor of the greater superpower at the time, but he was also a devout Christian. And he had knowledge of the Christian scriptures and of Christian history. And therefore, he was familiar with scripture, the message of the messengers, and their relationship with their peoples. So, his ten questions were all based on profound knowledge of scripture and religious history and the history of the messengers, their message and their relationship with their peoples. Having received the answer to all ten of these questions, Heraclius then proceeded to repeat each question with Abu Sufyan's answer and then provide his own analysis. And then having done so, he concluded that if all that you say is true, about this man. All ten questions were about the Prophet ﷺ, his message, and his relationship with his people. He then concluded that if all that you say about him is true, meaning he shall soon come to rule and possess the land beneath these two feet of mine. So this is more or less where we ended. After that, Heraclius, he's called for the letter that he had received from the Prophet ﷺ through Dihyatul Kalbi radiyallahu Remember, he had already read it. And it was because of that letter and because of the preliminary knowledge that he had of the Prophet ﷺ through his Ghassanid ally and king that he actually began making these inquiries. So he then called for that letter and he read out the letter to his people, to Abu Sufyan, his group, and to the whole court. Prior to this, very few people, even in the court, had knowledge of that letter. And Abu Sufyan had no knowledge whatsoever. In fact, this was the first he learned that Muhammad ibn Abdullah since he wasn't a Muslim at the time, that Muhammad ibn Abdullah has actually sent a letter to Heraclius. So this is where we left off, and let's continue from there. 
So Heraclius said, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Ubil Isnad al Muttasalimini il Iman al Bukhari, Rahimahullah, Qal, and with a continuous and uninterrupted chain from me to Iman Bukhari, Rahimahullah, he says as part of the hadith, Fa'in kana ma taqulu haqqa. Heraclius said to Abu Sufyan, So if what you say is true, Fasayimliku mawdi'a qadamiyya hata'in. So soon he shall possess. These two feet of mine, meaning the land beneath these feet of mine. وَقَدْ كُنْتُ أَعْلَمْ أَنَّهُ خَارِجُ And I knew that he was about to emerge. Meaning, just like the other people of scripture in the Middle East at the time. Those in the know, those with knowledge, they were anticipating the arrival of the final prophet of Allah. All the signs were pointing to that. Throughout Arabia and beyond, people were waiting for the arrival of the final messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. There were many signs all converging. So even before his interrogation of Abu Sufyan, even before he learnt about the Prophet, وسلم, even before he received his letter, through general signs and other indications, he was convinced that a prophet is about to emerge. So he says, And I knew that he is about to emerge. But he says, However, I didn't think that he would be one of you. Again, this was one of the reasons why many chose not to believe in the Messenger The Arabs, although admired for some of their qualities, and also feared in equal measure, because they were a warrior race, in general the Arabs were looked down upon and held in contempt both by the Persians and the Romans, the two superpowers at the time. And even in Arabia, the people of scripture, the learned, the well-versed, the literate, those who had knowledge of the scripture, they were also aware that a prophet is about to emerge. But even they didn't think for a moment that he would emerge from amongst the Arabs. They considered the Arabs beyond the pale, irredeemable, unable to be reformed. So when the Prophet ﷺ did proclaim his prophethood, of course many amongst his own people opposed him, but people of other groups refused to believe in him as Allah says in the Quran, out of spite and envy, even after the truth had become clear and manifest to them. So they accepted the signs. They believed that he wasn't a liar. They recognized the true signs surrounding the coming of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa as well as the signs in him. 
but merely out of spite and jealousy that he, he was from amongst the Arabs and not from their group, not from their nation, they refused to believe in him. So Heraclius says the same, that I never thought for a moment that this final prophet of Allah would emerge from amongst the pagan Arabs. But then he says, فَلَوْ أَنِّي أَعْلَمْ أَنِّي أَخْلُصُ إِلَيْهِ But if I knew that I could safely reach him, that I would struggle, I would venture his meeting, I would take the risk of going to meet him. What does Heraclius mean when he says, if I knew that I could safely reach him? Even before his interrogation of Abu Sufyan, he was already inclined to accepting the message of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. In fact, when he received the letter of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, his conscience told him that this is the true final messenger and that he should believe in him. However, Heraclius dithered and he looked at himself, his throne, his crown, his people, his empire, and he wanted the best of both. So he wanted to save his soul and gain salvation in the hereafter and believe in the Prophet ﷺ as he realized he should. But at the same time, he wanted to preserve his kingdom, his throne, his crown. And he didn't want to upset his people. And for him, the best option was that he would believe in the Prophet ﷺ if only he could convince his people to join him. In that way, his position as his continued position as an emperor would be secure. And he would also save his soul and go along with his conscience. So he wanted the best of both worlds. So in a way, all this drama of summoning Abu Sufyan in the midst of his courtiers, in the midst of his scholars and scribes, and patriarchs and patricians and leaders of the whole empire, and interrogating him in that manner, receiving the answers, analyzing the answers, and then summoning the letter of the Messenger ﷺ and having it publicly read out. All of this was an attempt on his part to win over the hearts and minds of his courtiers and his people, and of his noblemen, in the hope that they would agree with his embracing Islam. And they would follow in his footsteps. And jointly they would also accept the messenger. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So this is why he did a lot of this. And he admits that I knew he was going to emerge. But I didn't think he was one of you. However, now that he has emerged from amongst you. If I know that I can safely reach him. He feared. Rightly. To some degree, he feared that if I announce my conversion to Islam, I publicly accept 
this Prophet of the Arabs as the final messenger of Allah, and I believe in him, then not only will I lose my throne, but I may also lose my life. And that's why he said, fellow, if I knew that أَنِّي أَخْلُصُ I could safely reach him. Let the جَشَّمْتُ لِقَاءَ I would venture to meet him. So he knew that going out to meet the Prophet ﷺ would be a risky venture in itself. It would require a struggle. That's why he said, لَتَجَشَّمْتُ لِقَاءَ I would venture to meet him. وَلَوْ كُنْتُ عِنْدَهُ لَغَسَلْتُ عَنْ قَدَمَيْهِ He goes further and says, if I was by him, I would wash his feet. I commented on this last week. ثُمَّ دَعَى بِكِتَابِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ أَلَّذِي بَعَثَ بِهِ مَعَ دِحْيَةَ إِلَىٰ عَظِيمِ بُسْرَىٰ فَدَفَعْهُ إِلَىٰ هِرَقْلَىٰ He then called for the letter of the Prophet وسلم, which he had sent with Dihya to the great leader of Busra, the ruler of Busra. As I mentioned, this is Bostra, which was a trading city and a famous Roman city, directly en route between Medina and Damascus, not too far from Damascus. So, the ruler of Basra, Busra was the same Ghassan king which I spoke of earlier. So through him, the Prophet ﷺ sent this letter. Dihyatul Kalbi radiyallahu and carried it to Basra. And then from there he went with Adi ibn Hatim radiyallahu anh. Adi ibn Hatim radiyallahu anh was a famous companion, but who wasn't a Muslim at the time. But he was a noble leader. So he joined Dihyatul Kalbi radiyallahu anh and Dihyatul Kalbi radiyallahu anh delivered the letter to Heraclius who received it and then read it and put it away. Then followed these events. Then he called for the letter of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam once again. And then he read it out. Then he read it. So lo, therein was the following. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. By the name of Allah, the most gracious, the most merciful. This is the tradition of writing letters. One begins, this is a sunnah of the Anbiya alayhim wassalam. As Allah mentions in the Quran, when Suleiman sent a letter to the Queen of Sheba, when she received it, she announced to her courtiers, that a noble letter has been delivered to me. And it is from Suleiman. وَإِنَّهُ and it is بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ألا تعلو علي وأتوني مسلمين very succinct a one line letter بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم by the name of Allah the most gracious the most merciful ألا تعلو علي do not rise above me وأتوني مسلمين and come to me in submission
That was it. That was the only letter of Sulaiman alayhi salam. So, it's a, it's a sunnah of the Anbiya alayhi salam, and just as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam did here, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, that one begins one's letter, one's correspondence, with the name of Allah. So, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, by the name of Allah, the most gracious, the most merciful. Min Muhammadin Abdullahi wa Rasulih. From Muhammad, the servant of Allah and his messenger. Ila Hirakla Azimir Rum to Heraclius, the great one of Rome. This is the Prophet writing to Heraclius, who's the emperor of the greatest superpower at the time, the Byzantine Roman Empire. The Prophet doesn't address him in flattery. He doesn't flatter him. He doesn't give him many titles, prefixes and suffixes. He simply, he doesn't even call him king. In fact, he doesn't acknowledge his being an emperor or a king. He simply says, Azim, Azim the great one of Rome. And most importantly, he begins the, the letter with himself. From Muhammad, the servant of Allah and his messenger. Normally, when people would write letters, and letters would be delivered by ambassadors and emissaries, then the writer would glorify himself and would also glorify the recipient. And they would be full of titles. And they would write with the regal noun, we. And one can read, one can select any letter from many of the monarchs of the past, from most countries. And the language letter from such and such, the Lord of the East and West, the Son of the Sun. And with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, despite being who he was, he begins a letter with the words, Muhammadin from Muhammad, Abdullah, the servant of Allah. Abudiyah, servitude, is the loftiest position a believer can aspire to. The loftiest. Allah loves those who are his ibad, who are his servants. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has amongst his names Al-Jabbar, Al-Mutakabbir, the mighty one, the enslaver. Al-Jabbar, one of the meanings of Al-Jabbar is the enslaver. Al-Mutakabbir, the proud one. Allah has a right to be proud. Allah boasts. Allah has a right to be proud. And we learn from many ahadith that kibriya and azamah are the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, meaning greatness and grandness, and even pride. 
These are the attributes of Allah Azza wa Jal. Whoever assumes pride, whoever adopts arrogance, is challenging Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his attributes. And for that, Allah says, I will fling him into the fire. So the relationship between Allah the Creator and His creation, the whole of His creation is such that Allah expects, Allah demands that people serve Him, submit to Him, prostrate to Him, recognize His worth and greatness, and recognize their own worthlessness. Whoever does this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves them for it. The more a person humbles himself before Allah, the more Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elevates them. Not only by him, but even in the eyes of his chosen servants. And that's why even the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, even at the most exclusive of times, when Allah Azzawajal selected him for certain things, Allah could have conferred upon him the greatest titles. For instance, when Allah invited him on that miraculous journey of Mi'raj, and then further on Isra, where he was carried to the heavens, and there the whole miraculous journey took place as we know it. On that great occasion, which was a miracle, and a thing of great honor for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that's when he was when he could have been given the greatest and the most honorific of titles. And yet how does Allah choose to describe him on that occasion? Allah says, Subhanallah asra bi abdihi laylam min al-masjid al-haram ilan masjid al-aqsa. Glorified be that Allah who carried his abd, his servant by night. On that great occasion, even though the Prophet ﷺ was traveling through the heavens of the Jibreel and even going beyond the point where Jibreel gave up and said, I cannot proceed beyond this point. Even on that occasion, the greatest title conferred upon the Prophet ﷺ by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was Abd. Subhanallahi asrabi abdih. Glorified be that Allah who carried his servant by night from al-Masjid al-Haram to al-Masjid al-Aqsa. So that he may show him of his signs. In Surah Al-Kahf, Alhamdulillah, الذي أنزل على عبده الكتاب ولم يجعل له عوجا. All praise be to Allah who revealed to his servant the book. So in many places throughout the Qur'an, the Prophet ﷺ is referred to as Abd. لَمَّا قَامَ عَبْدُ اللَّهِ يَدْعُوهُ كَادُوا يَكُونُونَ عَلَيْهِ لِبَدًا Describing how the people would attack him or were close to attacking him when he rose to deliver the message of Allah and to call to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to pray to him. Again, Allah refers to the Prophet ﷺ as Abd. And there's no more telling verse than the verse about Isa ibn Maryam السلام, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, not just of the Prophet وسلم, but even that individual, that Prophet, who was made into a God, who was worshipped, and made one of the Holy Trinity, 
and considered a God in his own right and one of the Trinity, even that individual, even that Prophet of Allah, Isa, the son of Maryam, alayhim salam Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَنْ يَسْتَنْكِفَ الْمَسِيحُ أَنْ يَكُونَ عَبْدًا لِلَّهِ وَلَا الْمَلَائِكَةُ الْمُقَرَّبُونَ وَمَنْ يَسْتَنْكِفَ عَنْ إِبَادَتِهِ وَيَسْتَكْبِرُ فَسَيَحْشُرُهُمْ إِلَيْهِ جَمِيعًا Allah says, never, emphatic negative, not just will not, but لَنْ, never, an emphatic negative, لَنْ يَسْتَنْكِفَ الْمَسِيحِ The Messiah, so here Allah doesn't even describe him as Isa, the son of Maryam. He actually uses the words, the Messiah. So n- the, never will the Messiah disdain from being an abd, a servant of Allah. And neither will the closest angels. Then Allah warns, and whoever turns up his nose and disdains from being a servant of Allah, and from his service and worship, and is arrogant, then Allah will soon amass all of them unto himself. So, this is a very telling verse, that that Prophet of Allah, not the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, but that one Prophet of Allah, who was hailed as a God, and worshipped besides Allah, even he does not disdain or turn up his nose from being a slave and a servant of Allah. So when the Prophet ﷺ uses the word Abdullah, it's a title of honor and it's humble submission. So from Muhammad Abdullah wa Rasulih, from Muhammad the servant of Allah, the slave of Allah, wa Rasulih and his messenger, Ilahi to Heraclius Azim al-Rum, the great one of Rome. Salamun ala man al-Huda. Peace be on one who follows the guidance. Question here is, was the Prophet ﷺ giving salam to Heraclius? Well, this is very similar, or identical actually, to what the Prophet Musa and Harun said to Pharaoh. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relates in the Qur'an that he commanded the Prophet Musa and Harun to approach Pharaoh. فَأْتِيَاهُ So approach him and say to him that we are the messengers of your Lord. فَأَرْسِلْ مَعْنَا بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلِ وَلَا تُعَذِّبْهُمْ Therefore, send with us the children of Israel and do not punish them. <coughs> Verily, we have come to you with a sign from your Lord. وَالسَّلَامُ عَلَى مَنِ اتَّبَعَ الْهُدَى And peace is on one who follows the guidance. So, in reality, this is no different to what what the Prophet ﷺ says here to Heraclius, As-salamu ala man al-huda, is no different to what Musa salam and Harun salam said to Pharaoh. That was-salamu ala man al-huda, that peace be upon one who follows the guidance. This wasn't a, so much a greeting to Heraclius or Pharaoh, as it was a message that true peace is on one who follows the guidance. أَمَّا بَعْدِ 
As for what follows, Amma Ba'd is a phrase uh, which is used as an introduction in speech, in Arabic, in speech and in writing, which more or less marks the end of the introduction and the beginning of the real message. And a crude translation would be, Amma Ba'd, as for what follows, the introduction, so here it is. So Amma Ba'd, as for what follows. فَإِنِّي أَدْعُوكَ بِدِعَايَةِ الْإِسْلَامِ so verily, I do call you. I do invite you with the invitation of Islam. Aslim Daslam. Submit and you shall be safe. These two words are not only rhythmic in Arabic. Aslim Daslam. Aslim means submit. And taslam means you shall be safe. But submission here, this doesn't mean a political submission to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Rather it means a submission of faith, i.e. embrace, become a Muslim. So aslim, submit. Because the word Islam means submission. So, aslim, submit, become a Muslim. Taslim, you shall be safe. In just those two words, by saying taslim, you shall be safe, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam conveyed so much if only he understood. He was fearful that he would lose his position. But like many others, towards the end of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam's life, Rasulullah did not forcibly convert anyone. When he traveled to Tabuk, even two, three years later after this incident, approximately two years later, because this whole incident of Abu Sufyan with Heraclius took place most likely at the beginning of the seventh year of Hijrah. Even two years later, when the Prophet ﷺ traveled north and then halted at Tabuk and then returned. When he halted at Tabuk, he entered into many agreements with the surrounding tribes. Some of them, the entire tribe along with the leaders remained Christian. But the Prophet ﷺ entered into an agreement with them but did not convert any of them. And he accepted their remaining on their religion. And he agreed good terms with them. And not only that, but the Prophet ﷺ even recognized the rule and the authority of these individual tribal chieftains and leaders over their people and over their region. Of course, they were to be subordinate to the Prophet ﷺ in Medina, but over their region, they remained safe and sound, and secure in their positions of authority. So for many of these tribes, even two years later, even after the conquest of Mecca, the Prophet ﷺ left them as they were. They saw no change in their fortune, none whatsoever. They were Christian before. They remained Christian. They were rulers of their regions, of their lands. They remained rulers of their lands. They were chieftains of their tribes. Their position remained the same. 
Of course, now they paid homage to the Prophet ﷺ in Medina and recognized his authority. But de facto, as far as their everyday practical lives were concerned, both politically and religiously, they saw no change. So Heraclius should have understood the words, Taslam, you shall be safe, in the sense that the Prophet ﷺ would honor him just like he honored all the others. And that not only would he attain salvation in the hereafter, but what the loss of what he feared in the world would not come, would not befall him. And what was the wisdom in the Prophet ﷺ accepting them as they were? Undoubtedly, he did not convert anybody forcibly. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an to him, That what? Will you compel people until they become believers? No. The Prophet wasallam's nature wasn't to do such. And he never did it. The Prophet wasallam's wisdom in this, the having agreed terms with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, And at least if they would decline to oppose the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, For opposing the messenger meant inviting damnation. But as long as they didn't oppose the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, they would not invite the wrath of Allah. And they could remain following their own scripture. But the beauty of Islam, the effect of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam's words and teachings and his own spiritual power would soon extend to them and they would embrace Islam of their own accord he did that with so many individuals so many groups even with some of the pagans Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam let them be until they themselves came and embraced Islam. So, this was the wisdom. Had Heraclius understood, he would have realized, in the simple word, Taslam, you shall be safe, that he would be safe in the akhirah, in the hereafter, he would be safe in this world. And all the fears that he had of suffering losses, he would not have suffered those losses. Then the Prophet ﷺ says, Aslim, Taslim, embrace Islam, become a Muslim, Taslim. You shall be safe. Yu'tikallahu ajraka marratain. Allah shall grant you your reward twice. And the reason for this is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed that those who followed an earlier scripture from the people of the book, the Jews and the Christians, or anyone who followed an earlier messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if he then, he or she then, embraced Islam and followed the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam after having followed an earlier messenger, an earlier scripture, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would grant them a double reward. And Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi alayhi, mentions this in his own Sahih, and so do many others. 
from Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiyallahu an, the companion relates that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, there are three people whom Allah shall grant a double reward. And one of them is someone who believed in his Prophet and then also believed in the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and embraced Islam. And Allah also mentions this in the Qur'an, الَّذِينَ آتَيْنَاهُمُ الْكِتَابَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ هُمْ بِهِ يُؤْمِنُونَ وَإِذَا يُتْلَى عَلَيْهِمْ قَالُوا آمَنَّا بِهِ إِنَّهُ الْحَقُّ مِنْ رَبِّنَا إِنَّا كُنَّا مِنْ قَبْلِهِ مُسْلِمِينَ أُولَٰئِكَ يُؤْتَوْنَ أَجْرَهُمْ مَرَّتَيْنِ بِمَا صَبَرُوا Allah says, those whom we have given the book, i.e. any one of the earlier scriptures, from before, هُمْ بِهِ يُؤْمِنُونَ They do believe in the Qur'an. And when it is recited to them, they say, we have believed in it, the Qur'an. Indeed, it is a truth from our Lord. Verily, we were Muslims even before this. Allah says, these are a people who shall be given a double reward, or who shall be given their reward twice, in lieu of their patience and perseverance. Why? They were faithful to the former scripture and messengers, alayhim salam, and now they are faithful to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the Qur'an that he brought. So, and why does Allah give them a double reward? Because Allah says, those whom we have given the book, whom bihi yu'minun from before, they believe in it, because they recognize it. And that's why Allah says, وَإِذَا سَمِعُوا مَا أُنزِلَ إِلَى الرَّسُولِ تَرَى أَعْيُنَهُمْ تَفِيدُ مِنَ الدَّمِّ مِمَّا عَرَفُوا مِنَ الْحَقِّ يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا آمَنَّا فَاكْتُبْنَا مَعَ الشَّاهِدِينَ A group of Christians came to the Prophet wasallam from Abyssinia. These were the companions of Negus and Najashi, the Abyssinian ruler. They came to the Prophet ﷺ. They were very devout Christians. And when they met the Prophet ﷺ, and he recited the Qur'an to them, simply upon hearing the words of the Qur'an recited by the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, they began weeping immediately. And instantly they embraced and believed. So Allah refers to that incident by saying, وَإِذَا سَمِعُوا مَا أُنزِلَ إِلَى الرَّسُولِ تَرَى أَعْيُنَهُمْ تَفِيضُ مِنَ الدَّمْعِ مِمَّا عَرَفُوا مِنَ الْحَقِّ That when they hear what has been revealed to the messenger, you see their eyes flowing with tears because of the truth that they have recognized. So here, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says the same to Heraclius, that if you believe, aslim taslim, embrace Islam, you shall be safe, and yu'tikallahu ajraka marratayn, Allah shall grant you your reward twice. Because you are a devout Christian. You are a Christian. You are one of scripture. You have obeyed and followed and believed in an earlier messenger, an earlier scripture. And by following me, and embracing the Qur'an, Allah will give you a double reward. However, the Prophet ﷺ then warned him, فَإِن تَوَلَّيْتَ But if you turn away, فَإِنَّ عَلَيْكَ إِثْمَ الْأَرِيسِيِّينَ 
then upon you is the sin of the commoners. Heraclius being a ruler, he was very insecure. If he had the confidence, he would have realized that he should have accepted the message of Islam, embraced Islam publicly, and his people would follow him. Rather, despite being such a mighty and powerful ruler, he lacked the confidence. He lacked confidence. He feared his people. He had just recently vanquished the Sasanid Persian Empire. They had surrendered to him on his terms. He was recognized and hailed as the greatest living and most powerful emperor of the time. By everyone, including his enemies and rivals. And militarily he was brave as well. He actually fought on the battlefield and his valour was recognised. And yet despite all these achievements, he was insecure. And he lacked the confidence. Despite all of his military and political achievements, he feared his people if he embraced Islam. Rather, and compare his lack of confidence with the confidence of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, from Muhammad, the servant of Allah, and his messenger to Heraclius, the great one of Rome. Verily, I invite you with the call of Islam, aslim taslam. Embrace, and you shall be safe. And Allah shall grant you your reward twice. But, he warns him, if you turn away, then upon you is the sin of the commoners. Because the Prophet ﷺ knew, he knew his people, the Prophet ﷺ knew Heraclius, and knew the people of Heraclius better than Heraclius knew himself or his own people. And the Prophet ﷺ was telling him, that if you believe, they will follow you. If you embrace, they will embrace. And this will be another reason for your increased reward. That you shall enjoy the reward of those who followed you. For you will have guided them too. But if you turn away, then your turning away will lead them to turn away. And then you shall bear their sin on your shoulders too. Because these are the commoners. The commoners will follow you. Because not only was Heraclius an emperor in the political and military sense, he was also regarded as the spiritual leader, the Holy Roman Emperor, the head of the country and the head of the church. So if he had embraced Islam, his people would surely have followed him. Because he wasn't a priest or a bishop, rather he was the emperor. Other individuals may have suffered another fate, as some did. But he was the emperor and the ruler. They would have followed him. But if he refused to believe, the Prophet ﷺ warned him that you shall bear the sin of the commoners. Arisiyin refer, simply refers to farmers and farmers. And the farmers, the Prophet ﷺ wasn't speaking specifically about farmers, but rather farmer was a byword to indicate commoners. So upon you shall be the sin of the commoners. Then the Prophet ﷺ said the following, 
وأند يا أهل الكتاب تعالوا إلى كلمة سواء بيننا وبينكم ألا نعبد إلا الله ولا نشرك به شيئا ولا يتخذ بعضنا بعضا أرباب من دون الله فإن تولوا فقولوا شهدوا بأننا مسلمون O people of the book Come إلى كلمة سواء To a word سواء بيننا equal between us and you that we shall not worship anyone but Allah and we shall not associate anything in partnership with him. Nor will we take each other as lords besides Allah. But if you turn away, then you say, Ishhadu. Then say that you bear witness that even though you don't believe, بِأَنَّا muslimun that we are believers. We are Muslims. This is a verse of the Quran from Surah Ali Imran. However, I'd like to mention something here. That this verse from Surah Ali Imran was actually revealed in the ninth year of Hijrah on the occasion of the delegation of Najran coming to visit the Prophet ﷺ. Najran is, and always was, a famous city of southern Arabia, towards Yemen, between Mecca and Yemen. Mecca and Sam'a, but it's to the south of the Arabian Peninsula. Najran, even before the birth of Rasulullah ﷺ, in fact, a century before, approximately a century before, had become a major center of Christianity. It was a very large city, it was a trading city, and it was a quite a large metropolis. And the surrounding region also came to be known as Najran. It was in a very beautiful valley, and the city and the valley were both known as Najran. Najran was full of churches and monasteries. And it was the center of Christianity in the whole of the Arabian Peninsula. In fact, people used to perform pilgrimage to Najran. It was regarded as a holy city. The Prophet ﷺ sent letters to them as well, just as he sent to Heraclius and other people. When they received these letter, this letter from Rasulullah ﷺ, after the conquest of Mecca in the ninth year of Hijrah, the people of Najran, their bishops and their leaders, since they were all devout Christians, quite learned Christians, they decided to send a delegation to the Prophet ﷺ, consisting of uh, a large number of people, leaders and bishops and clergymen. They arrived in Medina in the ninth year of Hijrah, and the Prophet ﷺ received them. He invited them to Islam. And they refused. He even challenged them to a mubahla, where they were, each party would invite the curse of Allah upon themselves if they were untrue and if they were false. 
But they refused. They withdrew from such challenge from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And that mubahala is actually mentioned in the Qur'an. So it was on that occasion that when the delegation of Najran came to Medina in the ninth year of Hijrah, that these verses of Surah Ali Imran were revealed. So this verse was revealed then. قُلْ يَا أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ تَعَالَوْا إِلَىٰ كَلِمَةٍ سَوَاءٍ بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَكُمْ That say, O people of the book, تَعَالَوْا إِلَىٰ كَلِمَةٍ Come to a word. سَوَاءٍ بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَكُمْ Which is equal between us and you. And the meaning of equal between us and you, the Prophet ﷺ was inviting the people of the book, but mainly the Christians here because of the backdrop to the revelation of this verse. That, O people of the book, come. Come to a word which is equal between us and you. So what is that word which is equal between us and you? That is explained Later in the verse, the verse continues. And that, this is the equal word. Allah, that we shall not worship anyone besides Allah. And that we shall not associate anyone or anything in partnership with him. Now why does the Prophet ﷺ say an equal word? Because the essence of the earlier scriptures, the essence even of Christianity, was that worship is only for Allah, the Lord and the Creator. And Allah attests to this in other verses of the Qur'an. وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ مِنْ رَسُولٍ إِلَّا نُوحِي إِلَيْهِ And we have never sent any messenger before you. Except that we have revealed to him أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنَا فَعْبُدُونَ that there is no God besides me, therefore worship me. وَلَقَدْ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةِ الرَّسُولًا أَنْ اعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ وَاجْتَنِبُوا الطَّاغُوتِ And verily we did send to every nation a messenger that worship Allah and avoid idolatry. So this message was consistent through all the scriptures and with all the messengers, alayhimu salatu wasalam, all of them call for the worship of Allah, the one and only. And that's exactly what Isa ibn Maryam, alayhimu salam, did. He did not call for anything else but the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In fact, when Isa ibn Maryam, I spoke about being a slave and a servant. Isa ibn Maryam السلام, although he preached and he taught in adulthood and the gospels as we know them are claimed to be from his preaching in adulthood what Islam says is that he miraculously spoke in his mother's arms as a baby, as a child when the people accused his mother of bringing shame to her family and her people, having brought a child without being in wedlock. She pointed to Isa ibn Maryam, to her baby, 
They said, how can we speak to a child in the cradle? He spoke up. And what were the first words that Isa, the baby, the son of Maryam, السلام, uttered? Allah says, قال, Indeed, I am the servant of Allah. So Isa ibn Maryam, السلام, like all the messengers before him, preached the same message, that worship Allah. In fact, these were the first words that he ever uttered in his life. Inni Abdullah, verily I am the servant of Allah. One question. How come this story is not mentioned in any of the Gospels? Surely something like this would be mentioned in some of the Gospels. Well, the thing is, the as I've mentioned before, Constantine, The founder of Byzantium, the founder of Constantinople, on the ancient city of Byzantium, he was the one who convened the Council of Nicaea in 325 CE. And before that, there were many scriptures and gospels available. But because there was so much internal religious conflict, so many wildly differing interpretations of these scriptures, and in fact many different beliefs about the Prophet Isa his person, his very being, and his relationship with Allah, he decided to create a single church for his empire that everybody would agree on. An orthodox. So he convened a council of bishops and leading clergy, and that was a council of Nicaea. And they, by force, event, well, he, he, they agreed on a certain formula and a certain creed. That this is the creed that we shall follow. This will now become the official Christian doctrine. And of all the Gospels, they only selected these four. Of Mark, Matthew, Luke and John. All the other Gospels of Barnabas, of Thomas, of others were declared to be unorthodox and actually heretical. Many of them were burnt and completely removed from public life and public knowledge. Many of them survived individually. And some of these are still preserved in various libraries under lock and key. But because they are regarded as being unorthodox, and therefore heretical, and apocryphal, they are dismissed. But me- and one of the arguments is that the Qur'an has a number of stories about the Prophet Isa which aren't mentioned anywhere in the Bible or its related scriptures. So as a result, these are considered later inventions by the Muslims about the Prophet Isa One of those stories is this, Inni Abdullah, that Isa ibn Maryam salam proclaimed in his childhood, in his infancy, in the cradle, 
that I am the servant of Allah and that he actually spoke. But, and there are other stories too, the truth is, all of these stories are to be found in the other Gospels. And some of them are now gradually being revealed bit, bit by bit, slowly, as uh, many of these Gospels that are rega- regarded as being unorthodox and heretical, and that are not included in the official Bible, as some of them are finding their way to light and to publication. Many of the stories that hitherto were mocked and ridiculed in the Qur'an and in the Hadith about Isa ibn Maryam salam are now being attested to by these Gospels that predate the Qur'an by six centuries, or at least five centuries. So this was the equal and common word between the Muslims and the rest, between the Prophet ﷺ and the people of the Scripture as he was addressing them. That come to a word which is equal between us. And that word is that we shall not worship anyone but Allah. Every prophet of Allah, including Isa, the son of Maryam, said exactly the same. That we should not associate any part, anyone or anything in partnership with Allah. And that is why Christianity is regarded as a monotheistic religion. Christianity and Judaism are both regarded as monotheistic, Abrahamic religions. And the tradition of Ibrahim salam is monotheism. And Christianity is regarded as a monotheistic religion. Because that's what it was in its essence and in its origin. Despite the belief of the divinity of Jesus and the divinity of Mary salam. وَلَا يَتَّخِذَ بَعْضُنَا بَعْضًا أَرْبَابًا مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ And that we do not take one another as lords besides Allah. When the Prophet ﷺ once recited this verse, uh, sorry, once, once when he mentioned this, that taking lords besides Allah, أَرْبَابًا مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ Someone who was present, who had knowledge and experience of Christianity, said, O Messenger of Allah, they would not worship one another and take one another as gods besides Allah. Yes, we accept that they worshipped Isa, the son of Maryam, as a god besides Allah, but they wouldn't worship one another as gods besides Allah. So what's the meaning of this? And here it's the same, وَلَا يَتَّخِذَ بَعْضُنَا بَعْضًا أَرْبَابٌ مِّن دُونِ اللَّهِ And that we will not take one another as lords besides Allah. So the Prophet ﷺ said that they would take the word of their clergy and of their religious leaders as the ultimate truth. I'm just paraphrasing. In that, if they said something is halal, they would take it as halal. And if they said something is haram, they would take it as haram. So when they would accept the false legislation and the false verdicts of their religious leaders as the truth besides Allah, and they would accept it from them, knowing fully well themselves that this is contrary to the spirits and the teaching of their religion, then they were guilty of associating these religious leaders as partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then, the verse ends, فَإِن تَوَلَّوْا That if you do not accept these terms, and if you turn away, then at least 
you bear witness that though you may not follow these teachings, and what are the three teachings mentioned here? That we do not worship anyone but Allah. Two, we don't associate anything or anyone in partnership with him. And number three, we do not take one another as lords or gods besides Allah. If you do not accept these terms, then at least bear witness that we as Muslims, inna muslimun, that we are the ones who submit to these terms and submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on these terms. So that's the commentary of the verse. But as I said, the verse was revealed in the ninth year of Hijrah after the delegation, or at the time of the delegation of Najran. This incident took place two years earlier. So, how come the verse is mentioned here? Well, the simple explanation is, the verse was revealed two years later as an affirmation, as a confirmation, and a ratification of what the Prophet ﷺ himself said two years earlier, in exactly the same words. At the time, this wasn't revealed as a verse, but the Prophet ﷺ spoke of his own accord. And this isn't surprising in the least. Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu an agreed with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in, in approximately 21 or 23 things. There are many things in which Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu an gave a verdict or said something. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala later revealed verses of the Qur'an or laws ratifying what Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu had said. On one occasion, Allah revealed words that were exactly the same as Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu uttered. He went to see his daughter, Hafsa. He learned that some of the wives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam remonstrated with him and spoke to him in a manner that he disapproved of. Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu was very stern. That was his character. He once walked in and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa was present and there was a curtain and behind the curtain there was a large group of women and they were speaking to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa in loud voices and there was a bit of din and clamour. And they must have been remonstrating with him. When he walked in, suddenly they all fell silent from behind the curtain. So Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu stood there and said, Ya aduwati anfusikun, O enemies of your souls, have you no shame? That when I enter you fall silent, yet you raise your voices before the Messenger of Allah. So one of the women spoke up. The reason is, O Umar, because the Prophet ﷺ is soft of tongue and soft-hearted, and you are harsh of tongue and hard of heart. So the Prophet ﷺ had that miraculous ability to reconcile hearts, to pacify everyone, and to warm the heart of even a wounded person. So he turned to Umar and he said, Oh Umar, never do you walk along the street except that shaitan adopts another street. So, Allah had made him, he was stern. So Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu, he says, one day I was at home, and it's a long story, but he went to see his daughter, 
And he entered the house and he said to his daughter, Is it true that you speak back to the Prophet ﷺ? Is it true that one of you gives him the cold shoulder for a whole day and refuses to speak to him? And then he said to his daughter, I warn you. These were his words to his daughter. That I warn you, perhaps if he divorces all of you, his Lord shall replace you with wives who are better than you who are Muslim and submitting, Muslimat, Mu'minat, believing, Qanitat, humble and devout, Ta'ibat, repentant, Abidat, who are worshipping, Sa'ihat, who are fasting, Thayyibatin wa Abkara, both virgins and non-virgins. He said that and then he left, he went to see Umm Salama radiyallahu anha, and she scolded him as well, and said, Oh Umar, isn't it sufficient that you say whatever you say to others? That you now even have to come between the Prophet and his wives. She was related to him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then actually revealed the words of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu verbatim as part of the Qur'an in Surah Al-Tahrim. As a revelation to be recited till Yawm al-Qiyamah. In exactly the same words. Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu was a truly remarkable individual. Truly remarkable. In every sense of the word. Allahu Akbar. In any case, so Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu, on occasions he had said things merely, well he said this to his daughter. And Allah revealed the same words as part of a verse, well, as a verse of the Qur'an. So if Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu could agree with his Lord in so many things, and Allah would reveal words of the Qur'an in ratification of his words, then is it surprising that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would reveal words in ratification of what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said? I mention this because this is an objection that this story took place seven, uh, in, in the seventh year of Hijrah. Yet the verse wasn't revealed till on the occasion of the delegation of Najran, which didn't happen until the ninth year of Hijrah. So how come this verse is inserted here? It's quite simple. He did not recite, well, he, this was, these were the words of the Prophet ﷺ himself, not a verse of the Qur'an as it was then. And that's why it begins with, وَيَا أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ And not, قُلْ يَا أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ As it's mentioned in the Qur'an. In any case... We end here. This is where, so this was the end of the letter. Simple, it was very short. Following which Abu Sufyan continues with the rest of the hadith, inshallah, which we will continue with next week and hopefully complete the hadith.
But uh, let me just quickly read the letter out again. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. By the name of Allah, the Most Gracious, the Most Merciful. Min Muhammadin Abdullahi wa Rasulihi ila Hirakla Azimir Rum. From Muhammad, the servant of Allah and his messenger to Heraclius, the great one of Rome. Salamun ala man ittaba' al huda. Peace be upon one who follows the guidance. Amma ba'd. As for what follows, for inni ad'uka bi di'ayat al Islam. So verily, I do invite you with the invitation of Islam. Aslim Islam, embrace Islam, you shall be safe. Allah shall grant you your reward twice. But if you turn away, then upon you shall fall the sin of the commoners. And O people of the book, come to a word, which is equal between us and you. Allah na'abuda illallah, that we shall not worship anyone but Allah. Wala nushrika bihi shay'ah, and that we shall not associate anyone or anything in partnership with him. Wala yattakhida ba'aduna ba'adan arbaban min dunillah, and that we shall not take each other as lords besides Allah. Fa'in tawallaw, but if you turn away, or if they turn away, if they turn away, fa'qulu shahadu bi'anna muslimun, then say, you bear witness. That we are Muslims. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to understand the words of Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasooli nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Subhanakallahum wa bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Al-Kotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044-121-771-3777 or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alcotha Productions. All rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.